the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. P. Bayonet Point. WTBN. Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. If you add any human achievement to Christ's death, you nullify the very meaning of his death. You destroy the gospel. This is why Paul had such strong words for false teachers. This is why in Galatians, he said, if you believe that, you are cursed. You are damned forever if you preach that and believe that. It is by grace alone through faith. Nothing added because only the death of Christ took care of your sins. So what would baptism have to do with your sin? What would good works have to do with your sin? How would that atone for your sin? Wouldn't. It wouldn't. The Bible is explicit that we are saved by grace and only by grace. And it's a good thing, too, because not one of us has within us what it takes to gain eternal life. Thanks for tuning in. This is Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The cross may be the cruelest form of execution ever devised by the minds of wicked men. But it was even worse for Jesus. Not only would he endure the physical agony, but he voluntarily would suffer the burden of our guilt and the wrath of his Father. On that cross, as the old song says, Jesus paid it all. As a result, God treats believers as if we are righteous. Here's Pastor Steve to explain. Now, someone has tried to put into perspective the agony of Christ dying for mankind's sins with these words. And I want you to listen closely because it's too easy to say, oh, yes, he died for our sins and not to consider what the spotless son of God went through, what sins we're talking about. When Jesus, the writer says, as I quote, was was hanging on the cross, he was being punished for, and I quote, arrogant Assyrians gloating over the captives they skinned alive. Nazi troops, machine-gunning women and children who ran from the burning synagogue with clothes ablaze, child molesters making sure their victims would never testify against them, pharaohs sacrificing thousands of faceless laborers to build themselves a deifying tomb. Jesus took on all this and more. It all fell on him with unspeakable violence. He was tossed about in the endless storm of enraged fathers uh, beating toddlers to death. Pimps seducing teen runaways into lives of drugs and prostitution. Canaanites burning their children to Moloch. Nice church ladies cannibalizing other nice church ladies over coffee. Grand inquisitors piously binding conscience to the rack and demanding right doctrine at the stake. Impoverished parents in China selling their daughters into slavery. Bible-believing elders praying long and loud while their wives sit in the back pews hoping heavy makeup covers their bruises. On and on it goes, a storm of titanic currents raging between heaven and earth, two irreconcilable moral fronts colliding at full strength in the dark. Jesus tumbles alone amid embezzlers, gangsters, bullies, rapists, liars, 
the indifferent, the sadistic, the self-righteous. It is a scene of unbearable horror and unspeakable madness. Jesus uh, writhes in, in pain amid this suffocating cloud of witnesses. He is the accused for them all, bearing the weight of abused children scarred for life, families destroyed by adultery or apathy, civilizations decaying, wars ravaging, victims, victims, always victims crying out. They are numberless and their anguished voices all focus on this one man tumbling in the storm, exposed, vulnerable to it all, wasted lives, heartache, monstrous atrocity, petty transgression. Humanity dumps its wreckage on this one spot. Ends of quote. What a, what a powerful statement. But that's what the cross is about. That's what it's about. When Jesus died, God the Father treated him as if he had committed all of these atrocities and many more. All of our petty daily sins of our, of our existence. And why? Why? Because the only way God's justice could ever be satisfied so that we could be reconciled to him was to have someone pay for our sins. There is no other way to him. God is holy. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. There is no other way. Sin has to be dealt with. Only he's qualified to deal with it. Sin, God's holiness said, demands payment, punishment. Jesus is the only one qualified to be punished for our sins. You see, not only is he he qualified, but you have to understand how he's qualified. Only God could pay an eternal price for our sins. Only God. Only God. But God in the form of God as spirit could not die. God as God in terms of his form could not die. But God as man could. That's why Jesus came into the world. To die. He is the God-man hanging on the cross, paying for all the atrocities of humanity. He became man so he could die the most horrific death of all deaths. All the sins of the world just heaped upon him, and he was treated by God the Father as if he was guilty of all of them. No wonder Jesus agonized about the cross. No wonder he, it says of him in Mark 13, 34, Jesus said, my soul is deeply grieved. My soul is in sorrow. He said it's deeply grieved to the point of of death. He said, I'm so heartbroken over what I know is about to happen. I could die right now could die of a broken heart. This is why scripture says in Isaiah 53, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Knowing that the cross was just hours away, Jesus was in deep sorrow, in deep anguish, not over, as I said, the the physical torment of crucifixion alone, although I'm sure that entered into it, but because he knew that he was about to drink the full cup of of, of the divine wrath of God, wrath against sin. And think about it this way. Jesus Christ never had a beginning. I mean, he was born in Bethlehem as a man, but Jesus Christ always is. He is the great I am. He is the creator. For all of eternity, for all of eternity, Jesus experiences the second person of the Trinity, experienced perfect fellowship with God the Father as well as with God the Holy Spirit. There was never a moment in which they were out of fellowship, and yet Jesus knew that in just a few hours while hanging on the cross, God would turn his back on him. For the first and only time, 
in all of eternity. And that's why Jesus cried out just before he died. It's really a rhetorical question. It is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't call God his father at that point because he was bearing our sins. He was treated as a sinner. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what the answer to that is? It's because that's the way God treats sinners. God had abandoned him because that's how God treats sinners. Jesus was being treated as a sinner, separated, forsaken, abandoned, deserted, rejected by the Father. And and why? Why? So that you and I would never be abandoned, rejected, deserted by the Father. Never forsaken. Christ took the full impact of the divine wrath for you and in your place, and he experienced hell for you. Folks, this is the basis, the cornerstone, the logic of the cross. That's that's what it's about. That's exactly what it's about, and that's all that it's about. Though Christ was sinless, God treated him as a sinner. But there's more. I told you there's two foundational truths about reconciliation that Paul reveals. The first one we've just looked at. Though Christ was, was sinless, God treated him as a sinner. The worst of sinners. A conglomerate of all sinners. But second foundational truth. Though we are sinful, God treats us as if we are righteous. Talking about believers now. He says in verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that, here's the purpose of the death of Christ. Here's the whole plan behind it. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The last phrase of this sentence pulls it all together. It declares the the very purpose of the death of Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. The purpose in terms of how it affects us. While on the cross, Paul is telling us, God placed our sins on Christ and punished him in our place so that he is able to place on our account, the account of those who trust him, the very righteousness of his sinless son. This is what's known in the Bible as, at least what theologians call it, imputation, not amputation. This is imputation. What does imputation mean? It is a word that that Paul borrowed from the world of banking. It is a financial banking term. It simply means to put to one's account. That's, that's all it means. In the sense of if you go to the bank tomorrow and you make a deposit, you put it on your account, it goes into your account. That's, that's what it means. It's credited to your account. What the Bible teaches is that when Jesus died, God imputed or credited all of our sins to his account. And you know what he did with those? He paid for it. He wasn't guilty of it but he paid for it. It wasn't his responsibility, but he paid for it. Now now maybe you can understand a little bit about what Paul said. It's the love of Christ that constrains me. He went to the cross for me. When Jesus died, God credited all of our sins to his accounts, and they were completely paid for. God now is satisfied. He's absolutely satisfied with that payment. He doesn't demand any more payment for sin. It's finished. It's over. The transaction was made. In fact, I remember the first time that um, I went, Michelle and I went to Israel. Uh, we were taken, one of the last days we were there, we were taken to what's called the um, the Garden Tomb and, and Gordon's uh, Calvary, named after a general, uh, a British general 
who said that he believed that, that the place of the cross, Calvary, was in a certain place, a rock formation. And on this rock formation, you can actually see it's just sort of a natural formation of the place of a skull. That's what Calvary means, the place of a skull. And so he and many believe, and it may very well have been the place, that Jesus was crucified there. And I remember just being stunned watching that place. I just couldn't turn away from it. And I, I looked at that place, and you know what words went through my mind? This is where the transaction took place. All I could think of is this was where the transaction took place. It was a transaction. It, there was a payment, a real payment there. Jesus said it is finished. And actually, uh, in the Greek language, it was a word, that word that uh, we translated as finished, or those words, is actually one word. It is a Greek word uh, called, or, or uh, pronounced tetelestai. And it meant, it was used in the first century to mean the debt is paid. One merchant on the Mediterranean, when he paid his debt, would turn to another merchant and say, tetelestai, it's finished, it's over. I paid you what I owed you. The debt is completed. That's what Jesus meant. To tell us, die. it is finished. The transaction was made. God is satisfied with the death of Christ. But watch this. Therefore, since he is satisfied that the sinless son of God paid for our sins, credited to, to his accounts, though he was not guilty, therefore, when we come to Christ for salvation, God then takes the righteousness of his son and puts it on our account. That's, that's the mark. That's the, the genius of it. That's the brilliance of the gospel. That's what substitution is all about. He puts his righteousness on our account. Now, this doesn't mean that our behavior is righteous. We, we do change as a Christian, but that's not what Paul is talking about. Even the great changes that take place in a Christian's life, you don't have enough righteousness to stand before God based on that. You need perfect righteousness. You need Christ's righteousness. All of our righteousness, the Bible says, like filthy rags. Filthy, dirty, rotten rags. But what happens is that on our account, it says righteous, righteous. Now, this doesn't mean that our behavior, as I said, is perfectly righteous any more than it means that Jesus and his behavior was sinful. He wasn't, wasn't a sinner, but he was treated like a sinner, and you and I are not righteous, but we're treated as if we are and, and were. See, this is what accomplished our salvation because it cleared the way for God to credit us with Christ's righteousness. As I said, though, this is the point. Though Jesus was not a sinner, but was treated by God as one, so believers are not righteous, but we're treated by God as if we are righteous. Someone has put it this way. He bore our sins so that we might bear his righteousness. That's the gospel. Folks, this, I want you to know, this is the true grace of God. This is why there's only one way to heaven. This is why nothing is you can ever add to the gospel. This is why it's by grace and grace alone. What can you do? This is the gospel. Jesus was treated like this and, and treated as if he committed all of your sins so that God would treat you as if you committed all of his righteous deeds. That's grace. That's what we mean by the grace of God. And this is why you certainly can understand that there is no human effort that, that can be added to this. There are many people who believe that Christ died for them. Many people, and especially in our culture, who have some kind of, kind of a church background, they would believe that. They'd say, yes, Christ died for me. But I need to do good works 
and add to that, I need to be baptized or I need to do religious deeds. You know, all that, that's an insult to God. That's offensive to God. Why? Because it denies that the death of Christ was sufficient to deal with your sin. If you add any human achievement to Christ's death, you nullify the very meaning of his death. You destroy the gospel. This is why Paul had such strong words for false teachers. This is why in Galatians, he said, if you believe that, you are cursed. You are damned forever if you preach that and believe that. It is by grace alone through faith. Nothing added because only the death of Christ took care of your sins. So what would baptism have to do with your sin? What would good works have to do with your sin? How would that atone for your sin? Wouldn't. It wouldn't. Not at all. The only way any of us can be reconciled to God is through faith in Christ as the one who was treated as a sinner in our place. You know, the Apostle Paul, from a human standpoint, before his conversion, was a righteous man. Obeying, at least outwardly, the, the feast, the laws, all of that. But you know, look, look at Philippians chapter 3 and see what the Apostle Paul said about his righteousness. Philippians chapter 3. Paul was a, was a Pharisee. Paul was self-righteous. Paul did keep those Jewish feasts and rituals and, and the outward performance of the law. He says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 9, he said that he may be found in him. This was his desire and this was reality. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. The law can't give you righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Because what Paul came to understand is this, all of his righteous deeds amounted to nothing. He, In his heart, he was a sinner. He was rebellious towards God. He was jealous, he coveted, he lusted. All He may have performed outward deeds that looked good, but inwardly he was a rotten, rebellious, hostile sinner who didn't love God at all, but hated God. Paul said, I can't stand before God that way. I have no righteousness of my own. It is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am clothed in his righteousness. When God sees Paul, when God sees any of us as believers, he doesn't see your sin. You know what he sees? He sees, as it were, a bank account. And stamped on that account, it says, righteous, righteous. Romans chapter 3, the very um, book that explains the gospel clearer than any other book in the Bible. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law... The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Hey, this was always the message of the law, that you needed a sacrifice for sin. The law couldn't give you righteousness, but it pointed you to how to have righteousness, Christ's righteousness. And then he explains in verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. He's saying anyone who comes to Christ gets credited on his account righteousness, righteousness. This is not talking about our behavior. This is talking about our justification before God, declared as righteous. The moment you trust Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, turn from your sin, turn to Christ, and trust him as the only way to heaven, the only way of forgiveness, as the one who paid for your sins, God, at that moment, puts Christ's righteousness on your account. And listen, from that moment on, for all of eternity, God sees you as if you are as righteous as his son. That's the grace of God. And you know the exciting thing about this? We've been studying Paul, explaining the ministry of reconciliation. This is what Paul preached. This is why people thought he was insane. For 2,000 years, 
people, the true church has been preaching this message. We're preaching the same thing Paul preached. That's, that's the exciting thing. This is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Paul declared this 2,000 years ago. And you know what? 2,000 years ago, it was thought of as foolish and silly and nonsense and moronic. It's still thought that way by people. That's why they thought that Paul had gone out of his mind. He was consumed with this. This is a message still considered foolish and weak by those who reject it for human philosophy and the wisdom of this world. But this is the message and the only message that can bring you salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. Why? Because this is the only way God has chosen to deal with our sin. There is no salvation apart from the full payment of sin and the death of Jesus Christ. So the question is this, have you ever actually repented of your sin and turned to Christ to save you? Then come through church, then come through works. It's through this message of the substitutionary work of Christ. It is so simple that people stumble over it. No human effort, it's already been done for you. You simply receive it by faith. If you'd like to, as we close the service, if you'd like to talk to um, any of our leaders, we'll have one of our elders up front here to speak to you after the service. So I want you to know that this is a message that can change not only uh, change you, but will, will change your standing before God forever. But I also know this, that there are some believers who have trouble with their assurance and, and they, they wonder, are they really saved? Let me say this. Let me urge you to just rest in Christ's work on the cross. Don't become introspective. For years after I, after I came to Christ, I, I struggled with assurance I struggled with doubts of my salvation. What happened was I began to look inward. I began to look at myself. The Bible tells us, turn away from yourself. Look to Christ. Rest in his finished work. Don't have faith in faith. It's faith in the finished work of Jesus and his ability to save you. And I want to say this, for for those who think that you can lose your salvation, this ought to put that to rest. It has nothing to do with what you've done. Those who believe that somehow they can lose their salvation have to somehow make a conclusion that their salvation depends upon them. In some way, I have to keep it. It doesn't depend upon you at all. It's not your righteousness that's put on account, your account. It's Christ's righteousness. He never takes that away. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I thank you for this precious, precious verse in the Bible. Thank you, Lord, that um, you would become a man so that you could die in our place. All the atrocities of humanity dumped on you. So spotless, so sinless, so pure. Lord, there is a sense in which our heart just aches to think that it was our sin that nailed you to the cross. So often people a debate who was it uh, who killed Jesus? Was it the Jewish leaders or the Roman authorities? Lord, the truth is that we all did. We were responsible because we were sinners by nature and by choice. Father, thank you for sending your son into the world. And Lord Jesus, thank you for willingly going to the cross, loving us. We, we, we now have more of an understanding of the love of Christ constraining us. You died for us. What can we do for you? But, but anything your word tells us and everything. And I would pray now, Lord, that 
those who may not know you that you would draw to themselves. Because even though this is reasonable, this makes sense, it's logical, we understand that unless you open someone's heart, unless you draw them to yourself, unless you convict them of sin and enlighten them and take the blindness away, they'll not come to Christ. So we pray for that. We also pray for those who who may struggle with assurance of salvation or wondering if uh, baptism plays a role in this or anything that we could do or if they think they could lose their salvation. May, may this answer once and for all the true grace of God found in an understanding of what the cross is really about. So, Father, we pray you'll take these words and drive them home deeply into our souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As Andre Crouch sang in My Tribute, How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love to me. If you've just trusted Christ, or if you have questions, I'll have a number for you to call in just a moment. I'm glad you could tune in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's broadcast concludes this series about reconciliation. To request a free CD with Pastor Steve's entire message, call this number. It's the same number to call if you need to talk to someone about salvation, by the way. It's 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306. Ask for message 630 or ask for the entire series on reconciliation. Today's program and many more previous ones are also available for free streaming or download at our website, versebyverseradio.org. If these programs are blessing you, would you prayerfully consider helping fund them? We have information at versebyverseradio.org. For Pastor Steve Kreloff and all the rest at Verse by Verse Ministries, this is Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.